0: Good morning, turn with me to John, we're going to pick up in chapter 5 where A.J. left off last week. So it's good to be up here, um, we, we finally got the mic situated, we lost a piece, so we're we're, we're we're going around and getting things right, that's why I sound a little high. Um, But it's good to be here. If uh, you're visiting with us, I'm not the senior pastor. Um, I am the minister of outreach and students. Um, We are filling in our pastor is on vacation. And so AJ preached last week and I have this week and next week. Um, and so this morning we are picking up in our John series next week for Mother's Day um, We will be somewhere else, but when Pastor Jim comes back, we will continue right into John And so AJ preached last week like I talked about um, and he did awesome and I'm a build on what he said today Or what he said last week today because it flows right into our passage um, And this is our 21st series in the book of John we are only in 21 passages through um, 182 verses. We are we are cruising at a good 20 miles per hour right now, but we are. You have to with this book because it is so deep, um, and it it is it's so good. Man, it's so good. And so today we're going to look at 16 through 24. AJ preached last week on 1 through 18. Um, but we're going to overlap on 16 through 18, and then we're going to continue on to verse 24. And so this week, I was studying, and I had some illustrations, ran one of the illustrations by A.J., and he was like, ah, you may want to be careful with that. Um, and it's the reason for that is because this passage is could easily be more than we can handle. It could easily, we could get so caught up in the doctrine of the Trinity and the theology and, and the academic side of the passage that we don't grasp the meaning. And so this morning, my task is to simply scrape the top of the bucket and, and let you see the truth behind Christ's words. And so turn with me to John or, or flip on or slide over whatever you need to do. To John chapter 5, 16 through 24. John writes, Therefore the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus responded to them, My father is still working and I am working also. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus replied, I assure you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son also does these things in the same way. Verse 20. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. And he will show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. And just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so the son also gives life to anyone he wants to. The father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son so that all people will honor the son just as they honor the father. Anyone who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. I assure you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to Father, right now, as we open up your word, Lord, as you speak through me and to us. Father, I pray that it not be my words, but it be your words. Lord, I pray that that we don't just sit back and relax in this time, but Lord, that we lean forward and we absorb the truth that you've placed before us. Lord, so right now, just let. Lord, let us see who Christ was. And what he did for us. Lord, we love you. We give you glory in Christ's name. Amen. So, AJ spoke last week on verses 1 through 15. And he did a great job. He had to, he had to set the stage for it. He had to explain why this was happening, why John wrote this the way he did, the truth behind this, and then we went into the story. And so we see that Jesus visits the pool of Bethesda, right? And when he visits the pool, when he visits the temple corpse, he, he sees a man laying up on a mat against the wall who has been lame for 38 years is what it tells us in verse 5, right? So he had been lame for 38 years. He hasn't been able to walk. And Jesus walks over to him and he says, get up, take your mat and walk, right? He'd been lame for 38 years. Years But he gets up He grabs his mat And he walks And so he's walking away These Jewish leaders come up to him And they say why are you carrying your mat Right Jesus had done this on the sabbath That's very important So they came up to him and they said Why are you carrying your bed on the sabbath You're not supposed to be doing that It's the sabbath, it's the holy day You should not be doing that And the man looks at him and he says, well, that teacher over there told me to pick up my mat and walk. Oh, and by the way, did you see I could walk? Right? I've been sitting here for 38 years and more than likely these Jewish leaders weren't just visiting that day. Right. These were the guys who who made sure everything was tidy in the temple courts, made sure nothing was out of place, that everybody was doing what they were supposed to be doing. But they missed the fact that this Jewish leader is or not this Jewish leader, that this man who has been lame for 38 years is walking because all they carry about is that he's carrying a mat on the Sabbath. And so that is where we pick up. You shouldn't be carrying your bed. And then they get mad at Jesus for healing this man on the Sabbath. And that's where verse 16 comes in. So I had to put that in context so you can see why Jesus is about to say what he's about to say. Verse 16. Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Right, the, the, the Jewish leaders did not persecute the man who was healed, but they then persecuted Jesus who healed the man. As the guardians of faith, the members of the Jewish Sanhedrin, right, they had the responsibility of investigating new preachers and teachers. Right, we've already seen that. They, they looked into the ministry of John the Baptist and scrutinizing Jesus now. So they've went from John the Baptist, now they're going to Christ. Jesus had already healed a demonic on the Sabbath in Luke 4, so the Sanhedrins were already suspicious up to this point. And so in the days following what we read in John chapter 5, we see Christ tell his disciples that he would defend them for picking grain on the Sabbath. And he would also heal a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath in Matthew chapter 12. Christ deliberately challenged the legalistic traditions of the scribes and the Pharisees. Because they had taken the Sabbath, God's gift to man. And they had transformed it into a prison house of regulations and restrictions. AJ talked about that last week. They had taken God's day and made this big old list of what you can and can't do. Most of it is what you can't do. Right? They had changed God's day and somewhat made it their own. And so look at verses 17 and 18. But Jesus responded to them. My father is still working and I am working also. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So we see Christ's response in verse 17. Right, But Jesus responded to them, my father. That is the statement of all statements. My father, which showed that Jesus was claiming to be equal to God and not our father, which is what the Jews used. Right. So the Jews would say our father. But when Christ says my father, that instantly rings a bell in these Jewish leaders heads. So instead of being like, I'm good, you're good, that's good, we got that, we understand, maybe that was a slip of the tongue, maybe it wasn't, no. Their acquisition went from Sabbath breaking to absolute blasphemy. Because Jesus claimed to be God. Warren Wearsby wrote, It is here that the official persecution of Jesus began. Culminating in his crucifixions in the days that followed, our Lord confronted his enemies with their evil desires to kill him. They hated him without a cause. They ignored the good deeds that he performed for the helpless and the hopeless and centered their attention on destroying him. See, the Jewish leaders could not disprove his claim, so they tried to destroy him and get him out of the way. Both in his crucifixion and his resurrection, Jesus openly affirmed his deity and turned his enemies against themselves. And so here is the transition, right? We've looked at 17 and 18. So the text now goes from dialogue to monologue, right? This is the transition point in the passage. right, the passage goes from Jesus talking to the Jewish leaders to him saying, just let me tell you something, brother. And then then this is what he's about to say. Look at verses 19 through 24. Then Jesus replied, I assure you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees his father doing. For whatever the father does, the son also does these things in the same way. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. And he will show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. And just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to anyone he wants. The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all people will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who has sent him. I assure you, anyone who hears my words and believes him who has sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from life to death. And so here is the response from Christ. And I want to show you two perspectives from this passage that do not get us so deep in theological doctrine that we miss the point. And so the first one is, right, he is the powerful, divine son of God. And there's where we get into the Trinity. One of the greatest heresies among Christians is to split Jesus from God and say that God did not participate in the work and death of Jesus. The Trinity, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. And right here, we're going to see the connection between God, the father and God, the son. Which I hope to explain to the best of my ability. So God, the son, right? Jesus is the powerful, divine son of God. And we're going to look at three divine natures of Christ that he explains to these Jewish leaders. So look at verses 19 through 21. Jesus is the powerful divine son of God in his works. So he starts off verse 19. Then Jesus replied, I assure you. Your translation may say truly, truly. What this means is this is the strongest possible terms. The the Lord assured his hearers that what he's saying was true. Pretty much he's saying, listen to this because I'm about to lay it on you, right? Jesus had just made the claim to be the son of God in verse 17 when he responded, my father. And just to make sure they, they comprehend what he's saying and he didn't slip up. He then says, I assure you, I assure you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does. The son also does these things in the same way. Right? So Jesus claimed to be one with his father in works. If healing a man on the Sabbath was a sin, then the father was to blame. Jesus did nothing of himself, but only that which the father was doing. Edwin Blum is a a New Testament scholar. He wrote this. Jesus explained that he is not independent or in opposition of the father. His activity is not self-initiated. The father directs and has sent the son. The son's activity imitates the father and the two always work together. Right? So the father and the son, God, the father, God, the son, two and one, they always work together. Christ says in John chapter 10, I and the father are one. Right, so Christ is dependent upon God. And so in Matthew 4 and Luke chapter 4, we see the passage of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness by Satan. Right, and so Satan tries to push it over on Christ, knowing say, hey, you have authority, you can do this, you can do that. All you have to do is say this and bow to me. But what does Christ do? He refused to act independently By himself in that matter. Right? He was totally dependent on the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. When he responded to Satan by quoting Old Testament scripture. Jesus is the Son of God and is no way independent of or in rebellion against the Father. Their relationship is one of continuous love. Look at verse 20. For the Father loves the Son... And shows him everything he is doing. And he will show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. So not only did the father show the son his works and enable him to do them. But the father also shared his love. Right, the first three gospels we see the introduction of my beloved son. And John echoes that in chapter 3. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hands in verse 35. Warren Wiersbe also said, we usually think of the father's love for the lost world as in John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world. But we must also remember that the father's love for his dear son, because the father loves the son and the father shows him his works. See, the Jewish leaders were so blind to this understanding because they didn't know the father and they didn't know the son, even though they were talking to him. And they just saw the miracle he performed. And so we read verse 20. He will show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. And then 21. And just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so the son also gives life to anyone he wants. Right, Jesus is making the statement to these Jewish leaders in chapter 5. And we have to read the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead on Easter in John chapter 11. Right, so we see, we see that. Right, as just the father raises the dead and gives them life, so the son also gives life to anyone he wants. So, six chapters later, we will see Christ raising up Lazarus. Pastor Jim talked about that on Easter. So Christ didn't only give raising of life physically, but he also did spiritually. Spiritually. And so right here is where the blasphemy on the part of the Jewish leaders comes into play. Right For Jesus to claim to have power and raise the dead was blasphemy in the eyes of the Jewish leader. They gave God to that the power alone. They said Jehovah held three great keys. Listen to this. In Deuteronomy 28, the key to open heavens and give rain, Genesis 30, the key to open the womb and give conception, Ezekiel 37, and the key to open the grave and raise the dead. As far as the gospels are concerned, Jesus had not yet raised anyone from the dead. So to make this claim was to invite even more opposition on him because the raising of Lazarus didn't come until chapter 11. And so when Christ makes this statement, he is not only talking about physically given life, but spiritually and so a couple of weeks ago, we read in John chapter 4, Pastor Jim talked about the Samaritan woman at the well. In verse 13, Jesus said, Everyone who drinks from the water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of watering spring, springing up within for eternal life. As God is the source of life, Jesus is the source of life. And we'll come back to that in the conclusion when we end on verse 24. So, that was a lot. It's a lot. So Jesus is the powerful, divine Son of God in His works. And next, we're going to see how He's the powerful, divine Son of God in His judgment. In His judgment. Look at verse 22. The father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. Jesus claimed to be equal with the father in his works, but he also claimed to be equal in judgment. God has committed all judgment to the son, and this makes the son equal with the father, for only God can judge man for his sins. Look down at verses 26 and 27. Pastor Jim's going to talk about this when he comes back, but it, it builds into what I'm saying. For just as the father has life in himself, so also he granted to the son to have life in himself. And he has granted him the right to pass judgment because he is the son of man. On Matthew, In Matthew chapter 7, on that day of judgment, those who hear and reject Jesus will hear him say, I never knew you depart from me. The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. And so Jesus explains that He is the powerful, divine Son of God in His judgment. Right? So we have seen works, we have seen judgment, and then He's going to roll into verse 23. So that all people will honor The son, just as they honor the father, anyone who has, who does not honor the son, does not honor the father who sent him. So in works in judgment and now in honor, Jesus is the powerful divine son of God in his honor. It's a lot. Jesus unity with his father is so complete that the honor of God is tied to Jesus to reject or dishonor. God, the son is to reject or dishonor. God, the father. John will later write in chapter 15, the one who hates me also hates my father. And John MacArthur writes this, the father honor, the father's honor is not diminished by the honor paid to Christ. On the contrary, it is enhanced. Another commentator wrote the fact that he is appointed judge should cause men to honor. Right, What a tremendous claim. If you do not honor the Son, you are not honoring the Father. The religious people who say that they worship God but who deny the deity of Christ have neither the Father nor the Son. Apart from Jesus Christ, we cannot know the Father, worship the Father, or serve the Father. So, there's your theological perspective on that part. So Jesus is the divine son of God in his works, in his judgment, and in his honor. But there's also another perspective from this passage that I don't want us to miss. Jesus is also the humble messenger of God. Right. So we see the background, the the doctrine of the Trinity from a, a very thin perspective. And so now he is the humble messenger of God. Look at verses 19, 20, and 23. Then Jesus replied, I assure you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son also does these things in the same way. For the father loves the son and shows him everything that he is doing. And he will show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. So that's 19 and 20. And we've already looked at how Christ is divine in nature through his works from that passage. But Christ didn't take his, his divine works, being the son of God, being, being God incarnate. He didn't take that for his own advantage. And that's what we have to understand. Look at Philippians. Turn with me. Turn. Definitely turn because this is such a good passage. Philippians 2, we're going to read 5 through 11, and I'm going to break it up into two parts. Paul writes to the church of Philippi, verse 5. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, right here. Who existing in the form of God. Did not consider equality with God. As something to be used to his own advantage. Instead. He emptied himself by assuming. The form of a slave. Taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man. In his eternal form he humbled himself. By becoming obedient. Even to the point of death. Even to death on a cross. So we see. That Christ did not take advantage of being God's son. Look at verse 6. Who? Existing in the form of God. He did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. As something to be exploited. As something to be grasped. Instead. Instead. He emptied himself. By assuming the form of a slave. Taking on the likeness of man. And when he had come as a man in his eternal form. Right here. He humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. So not only do we see Christ humble himself in the wilderness when he's tempted by Satan, but we see him, how he humbles himself to the point of death on a cross, right? He doesn't use his own power and his own authority, but he depends solely on the father. And so we come to Luke chapter 22, right? Christ is in the garden of Gethsemane. He is praying before the Father so intensely that blood is pouring from his head. How intense of a prayer do you have to be praying? I prayed last week because I have finals this week. And I prayed pretty intensely because I have finals this week. And and blood was nowhere near my head. But think about how, how deep in prayer Christ is. It is so intense. And we read the words of Christ. Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. And right here, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then we read of Christ on the cross and he's hanging there with the last couple of breaths. He says, Tetelestai, it is finished, right? I have now paid the price of sin. Death has been defeated. And I have humbled myself and followed the will of God of which he put me on this earth for. We see the Christ, the son of God, humble himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. He didn't use his own authority to back out of the nails being driven into his hands. He followed the Father's will. And that goes along with our passage. So, he, yes, he was the divine Son of God. It is the Trinity. But he was also the humble messenger of God and was totally dependent upon his Father. And so look at the outcome. Verse 23. It brings honor So that all people will honor the son just as they honor the father. Anyone who does not honor the son does not honor the father who has sent him. So that all people will honor him. In the same passage in Philippians, we're going to pick up in verses 9 through 11. So, in verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To glory of God the Father. So for this reason. God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name. So that the name of Jesus every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And right here. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To glory of God the Father. So God highly exalted him. Because of his humility. So because of verses 6 through 8. God then lays it on him and said, because you have humbled yourself to the point of death and followed my will. Being the divine son of God, you humbled yourself even to death on a cross. Your name will be highly exalted. And I will give you the name above every other name. And then Paul writes to glory, to the glory of God, the father. And then I'm going to conclude with verse 24. We're about done. In John chapter, or verse 24, Christ says, I assure you, there it is again, anyone who hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. They and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. So in this verse, Christ is concluding from the passage we read, but he's also opening the door for the next passage to come of life and judgment. And Pastor Jim's going to talk on this. So I don't want to take too much meat off of it for him. But look how he starts. I assure you, right? He is speaking truth again. He's saying, listen closely. Anyone who hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. And will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. So Jesus is reaffirming his authority here, right? To give eternal life to whoever he desires. John MacArthur again builds on this. As always in scripture, divine sovereignty is salvation not apart from human responsibility to repent and believe in the gospel. The promise is to those who believe that they do not come under judgment, but they have passed from death to life. And so Paul writes to the church of Rome in chapter 8. Therefore, no condemnation exists for those in Christ Jesus because the Spirit's law of Christ in Christ. Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. The claims of Jesus confront everyone. Forcing all to make a decision. You are either for him or you are against him. In Luke chapter 23, Jesus says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Right? There is no neutral ground here. You either believe that Christ is God, the Son, or you don't. Max Lucado wrote in his book, I've used this before. And today, 2,000 years later, the same is true. It is the watershed. It is the continental drift. It is Normandy. And you are either on one side or the other. A choice is demanded. We can do what we want with the cross. We can examine its history. We can study its theology. We can reflect on its prophecies. Yet one thing we can't do is walk away neutral. No fence sitting is permitted. The cross and its observed splendor doesn't allow that. That is one luxury that God in his awful mercy does not permit. Which side are you on? Those who believe him to be anything other than who he truly is will one day face his judgment. But those who accept him for who he is, God incarnate and human flesh, will be saved from their sins through faith. So look at these three verses. Matthew 1, 21. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus. Because he will save people from their sins. Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, he is always able to save those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. And then Paul writes to Timothy in First Timothy. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them, but I received mercy for this reason. So that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus may demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example for those who believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God to honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So, that's been a lot. We, ha- we have seen how Christ is yet the divine Son of God through three different characteristics. Right? I, I barely took uh, the, the top layer off of this passage. But not only do we see how Christ is the divine Son of God, but we also see how he is the humble messenger of God, and he is truly dependent upon his Father. Right? And so he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. And you can't sit on a fence and hope to have eternal life. You have either accepted Christ into your life or you haven't. You're even living your life for Christ or you aren't. You don't have to be perfect to come to Christ. He is God in flesh, the Savior of the world. God's Son sent to pay the price on our behalf. Christ never felt the pleasure of sin, but only the pain of it. But you either have faith in him or you don't. There's no neutral ground here. So, I'm going to ask you to do what I ask the students every week. Be real with yourself. We get caught up in a world full of lies that we then begin to tell ourselves that we're just fine. And then we trick ourselves into saying, I'm good. My life's good. Christ has got me. Storm comes up and we get blown away from our faith. You either have faith in Christ and you live it out or you don't have faith in Christ. But the good news is that you can come to him and say, Father, forgive me. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for today. Lord, in this time, I pray that we just open up our hearts to you. Lord, that we become real with ourselves, that that we see how Christ was your son. In his divine nature, but he was also the humble messenger for you. He, He gave himself up on a cross to fulfill your will so that we may be saved. So, Lord, let us just continue to praise you for who you are. or be with us in this time. We love you. We give you the glory in Christ's name. Amen.